Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand for Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, January 15th, 2023. Uh, and I am joined to to my far east, uh, from, from the land of the Patriots, Jesse Collings. Hello. Who are the Patriots playing today in the playoffs? Um, the Patriots are idle this week, um, oh. as, they, as they are accustomed to be during Wild Card Weekend, because they usually have a bye, so... <laughs> Oh. It's not really that unusual for them not to be playing this weekend. Okay. Who, who do you think they're going to play next week? Um, that is a good question, Brandon. We don't know what the, who they're going to play who's, next who's, week. Who's Belichick, uh, who are his possibilities that he's preparing for right now? He's getting materials ready for. Um, I believe Belichick has probably already started scouting for the draft. Okay. That who was a real thing. It was a real thing like like last few years where it was like the Patriots are going to kill the draft because Belichick actually has more time to look at the draft because he's used to only having to, he, he, he has like a whole month that he used to not have to prepare for the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, when the team's not in the playoffs, he has like three extra weeks now. Yeah. Think about what he could do with those three extra weeks that he used to not have. He could, he could shop for various outerwear, um, garments, including, I don't think he's a big, cl- uh, like new clothes buyer. Something tells me that. So whatever's issued in by, by the NFL and the Patriots. Um, this was a big week for WrestleNomics, uh, briefly, where we were, we were uh, referred to in, in a few outlets at least, but most notably I want to call out, and I suppose thank the publication Barron's, the Dow Jones Company, uh, as first reported by them, Barron's, this, this week, WrestleNomics is now a trade magazine. We are very proud to, to confirm uh, so very, very excited to see, to see WrestleNomics, uh, mentioned there. I, I just realized we were mentioned in a CNN article last night. So that's nice as, uh, tons of news, mainstream attention surrounding the Vince McMahon story. Um, if you would like to participate today with a super chat, uh, you can do so if you're watching live on YouTube, uh, please refer to WrestleNomics going forward as the, the trade magazine, WrestleNomics. This is sort of like, um, you know, the thrill ride WrestleMania or whatever it was the ultimate thrill ride WrestleMania. You're not allowed to say WrestleMania without saying those, those words preceding it to get the branding over from, uh, going forward from here. Mm -hmm. So, um, we will start though with some news coming out of SmackDown where, uh, finally there was a talent meeting. I figured there would be a talent meeting last week, uh, because last week there had already been, you know, the, the move made by Vince, uh, which we started to learn about Thursday night and was, this basically had happened by Friday, but we had not heard any reports about a talent meeting on Friday at SmackDown. But this past Friday on SmackDown, two days ago, as of when we were recording, Triple H did hold a talent meeting. According to Fightful, Triple H said that he's been assured that Vince McMahon's return is to see if the company should sell and help lead the change and help, sorry, help lead the charge and figure out who they might sell the company to if they do. He, he, being Triple H, made an attempt to squash the story of a sale being a done deal and said even if it does happen, it would take a lot longer, referring apparently to the rumors of, of a Saudi deal supposedly being done, uh, which has been denied by many people, including me. Triple H said that none of what is going on with Vince McMahon will change the creative process he has in place or the team that helps put it together. Levesque did keep it open and say that anything could change – but right now, Vince McMahon defers final creative to Triple H. Levesque also said that while he and Vince may have discussions, he, presumably Levesque, makes the final call. Triple H also thanks the talent for all they do. Uh, PW Insider also had a report on the meeting. Uh, 
Triple H said that Vince McMahon's involvement since returning is to spearhead the search to sell and who they may sell, may sell the company to. Uh, Levesque also re- reiterated that none of this will cause any effect on the creative team or the process. Those are the two main points of the meeting. He told Talent not to believe the rumors. Uh, Fightful followed up and said that Kevin Dunn actually crawled out of his, uh, his trailer and actually spoke to Talent and said that he's worked with Vince McMahon for 40 years and McMahon hasn't said a peep to him about making any changes. Kevin Dunn pretty much reiterated Levesque's points and, just, and the meeting was described as a calm down meeting to ease talent concerns about McMahon potentially getting involved in creative. So nothing to worry about there. So, so last week we talked about the meeting that it was like a Zoom call, right? It was like a company-wide Zoom call. Yes, to um, all employees, corporate employees, yes. Yeah. And both you know Stephanie and Nakan were on there and they assured us that nothing was going to be different. Stephanie was going to be in her role. Nick was going to be in his role. Triple H was going to be in his role. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that. And we said last, you know, last Sunday, we said, it's probably, um, here's the quote, you know, Nikon said on January 6th, in terms of the day-to-day of the company, nothing is changing. Steph is in her role. I'm in my role. Frank is in his role. That's Frank Riddick. Paul is in his role. Kevin Dunn is in his role. Now, on Sunday last week, we said it's hard to really believe that because Stephanie, specifically Stephanie and Paul, didn't want Triple H back. And Nikon, too, they voted um, that they didn't want Vince McMahon back on the board. Back. They voted yeah. on December 27th. Everybody, in fact, back. on the board. Yeah. Including Nick. Nick is on the board as well. Yeah. Nick, Paul, and Stephanie all said they didn't want him back. And then a few, like literally a few days later, Stephanie is telling us it's great that Vince is back. Well, so so they all voted that on December twenty seventh. Mm-hmm. So your point remains the same, but it was a, it was a couple weeks separation in time. Yeah, but it's like ten. It's like ten days. Um, this is January sixth, so that's under ten days mm-hmm. after they voted that. Um, so so we last week we came on this show and we said we're not sure about you know you know is Stephanie really like excited for Vince to be back? Is that something that they're really excited about? Do we really believe? That she's excited that Vince is back and that nothing is going to change. Um, Stephanie said, said so. on January it's an exciting 6th. time. It shouldn't be a scary time, she said. Our founder is back. She sounds happy about it. And of course, earlier this week, Stephanie McMahon resigned from the board. It um, was resigned from her position uh, as co-CEO of WWE and is now, for all intents and purposes, completely out of the company. Yeah. And so... We discussed that as something that could potentially happen on Sunday. And what it does is it shows that, like, the credibility that these executives have in these meetings can't be taken that seriously because you have Stephanie saying everything's great and then a few days later resigning. And so this week you have Triple H saying, ah, don't worry about it. You know, Vince is back, but he's only looking at a sale. He, you know, he might he might he might talk about creative sometimes, but he defers to me. And so it's like, well, last week, Stephanie said everything was all, all great. And then she left two days later. So why should anyone trust what Paul Levesque has to say now? What is his credibility at this point? It it's, doesn't seem to be that high. And nobody seems to know what's happening. So if I was a wrestler there, uh, I would be very incredulous about what Paul Levesque said, especially because he talked a little bit in like vagueness of, of saying like, you know, oh, you know, he didn't say Vince has nothing to do with creative. He didn't say that. So he may have conversations with him. Right. Um, So I would be um, very suspicious of 
Paul Levesque's current standing in the company. Um, what, what percentage of talent, though, do you think is aware that Stephanie and Nick said what they said to employees about nobody changing in their roles? I don't know enough about the, the backstage dynamics and what people, wrestlers in the company's true interest levels are and that kind of stuff. I would hope it is a very high percentage, like everyone. But you asking me that question seems to suggest that you think it's it's, it's probably lower is that, than, is that lead, than I think. Is that a leading question? I'd, because how how widely has that been reported? The, the reason why any of that's public is because I, I published a transcript of that meeting. And is that are, are talent like that closely paying attention and i don't know how, how how widely that's been aggregated i presume to some degree it has been but i highly doubt many if almost any talent are aware of of the details of that um they'd be doing themselves a disservice if they're not um but i don't know i don't i don't know how many talent are on social media how many talent are following wrestlenomics uh whether through their public accounts or through burner accounts Maybe um, it's the burners i'm not giving enough credit to the burners yes but anyway, so this is what the, the board looked like the day before Stephanie steps down as a member of the board and as co-CEO. And uh, now we're down to – this is what the board looks like. It's got uh, – for people watching on video, obviously. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight survivors here we have on the board. Vince was also elected the executive chairman. So Stephanie is – it was made clear in the press release that she's no longer co-CEO and she's no longer on the board. And – the WB uh, corporate website, in fact, has been updated to, to reflect that. When you look at the cor corporate governance page and you look at what the board looks like, according to their official website, Stephanie is no longer there. So, so it's not as if she's a, a non-chairwoman member of the board anymore. She's not on the board at all. When she took her leave of absence back in May, she remained on the board throughout that whole time. But this, this is a, a more abrupt break, and obviously it's a permanent one ra rather than a, a temporary one. Um, Vince is now the executive chairman, whatever that means. He's the chairman of the board, apparently. Um, and we've got Nick Khan, Paul Levesque is the executive directors, Michelle Wilson, Steve Payman, George Berrios, Steve Coonan, and Michelle McKenna. Uh, Michelle Wilson and George Berrios actually are not officially independent members of the board of directors just yet. They will be in about 15 days because you have to be removed from your executive position with WWE for with any company for three years to be considered an independent member. So they're, they're, the three-year anniversary of, of their termination in 2020 is, is at the end, the end of the month. So at that time, they will be able to be considered independent members. But for now, in fact. But what, do, but what does that mean, independent member? Does, do they can stay vote on matters even if so, they're not so fully considered independent members? In – committees have to have like a certain number of independent members on them. So there's a number of committees within the board that, that decide things like compensation uh, and, and other things. If I, if I look at the corporate website, so there's a number of committees within the board and you have to have like, I think when it comes to the, I think it's a compensation or the audit committee, when it comes to the audit committee, you have to have three independent members on that, on that team or something like that. So it's important to have a lot of independent members on your board for, for reasons like that, so that you meet certain, it's either New York Stock Exchange requirements or SEC requirements. So, um, WWE announced that they are going to do their earnings call on February 2nd, a Thursday, a morning, 8.30 a.m. John Pollock is ecstatic about this news, it being in the morning rather than, rather than the evening. So just before the market is opened at 9, they will report at 8.30, uh, Unusually, 
No, no executives here were named about who's going to actually appear on the conference call. It's going to happen at eight thirty on that morning. Uh, usually, in the past, they have they have said, oh, "Okay, we're going to have if Vince was around, we're going to have Vince and Nick and Stephanie and Frank on the call." Um, in fact, uh, the you know last time they they included Paul, and I think they uh, you know changed some schedules around so that Paul could be could be there. They changed the day, in fact, of the earnings call. In any case, they don't name who's going to be on there. Uh, is Vince going to appear on this? I don't know uh, because you know if we look at I've demonstrated in the past that Vince speaks very little on earnings calls. I don't think he enjoys speaking on earnings calls or doing any kind of interaction with people uh, in, in a public manner. So I, for that reason, I'm I'm sort of doubtful that he'll appear. Um, and I I imagine they're going to try to shut down any questions about the strategic alternatives that they may be exploring. So they've sort of said at the end of their press releases recently, we will not comment on this further until we comment on it further. So I don't think they're going to have much to say about it, which which would be the topic that I think Vince would have the most to say about since he's apparently not an executive in this company yet at the moment. So is Vince going to appear in it? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't, but wouldn't be that surprised if he does, I guess. Um, maybe there's something for him to say. Although, I, again, I doubt that he's really interested in saying much. Do you think that we will hear from anyone to kind of replace Stephanie McMahon? Because she's obviously been uh, a I mean, talkative figure. Are, are highly likely to be there, I would think. I would assume Nick is Nick might just do like the whole thing himself. He might. Him and Frank Reddick. Right. It's not unusual. Huh. It, it, it was a lot of executives. That four executives talking was kind of on the high end. You know, we've yeah. The, the earlier when I when I first started following this stuff, it was just George and Vince, an investor relations guy. You know, and, and Mike Mike White. It it does seem that Nick himself is really in this whole thing is kind of the one to watch, um, because his role in WWE I think has been fairly transformative in the way that and the confidence that analysts have in him in the sense that I don't think they're really, they're not worried that like Stephanie McMahon's resignation was not uh, seen as like a negative on the stock price this it week. It did slightly, slightly underperform. But it was very different That's than like when Michelle Wilson and George Barrios went away very quickly, very you know, unceremoniously. Yes. Um, and it, like I think if from the investor perspective, there's a lot of faith in being that as long as Nick Khan is there, he's the safe pair of hands that's going to steer this thing in the correct direction. And so if he sticks around for you know the next six months or the duration of however long it takes to sell this company, I think most of the anxiety any uh, analyst or investors would have would be eased. But – if Vince is on this full-blown revenge tour and he blames Nick Khan in some capacity for his exit from the company and Nick Khan leaves, then I think you start seeing a lot more concern from the analyst perspective on what exactly is happening in WWE. Yeah, I, I guess I, I don't think that's likely to happen. According to The Observer, Nick was acting as a go-between between Vince and Stephanie and Vince and Paul. So it sounds like there's, you know, he's been the mediator between perhaps a parties that are not not getting along well. Right, but who knows how long he'll stay in that role. I mean, and I think it would be to it it would be a, a, a against Vince's likelihood of survival to to you know blame Nick for for something, you know. Oh, I agree, but how rational is Vince at this point? 
I how think Vince, we're going to get into this in, in some yes. detail. I plan plan a little bit later, but I think I think Vince is being quite rational. But is but whether he's doing things like anybody normal, any, any normal or decent person would? No, the answer to that I would say is no. But he's he has very specific motivations. I think that are <laughs> that, that are unique to him. Um, the earnings report we expect to be another financial. Record-breaking year, record revenue. I'm estimating almost $1.3 billion, which would be more than the roughly $1.1 billion that they reported for the full year of 2021. Again, this is going to be a year-end earnings report. So it's Q4, and then we will have the entire year to calculate. Uh, net income, we expect to be another record-breaking year, over $200 million in net income. Both of these numbers, even adjusted for inflation, would be the all-time record for World Wrestling Entertainment Inc. slash Titan Sports slash World Wrestling Federation Entertainment. These will be the most profitable, lucrative years in WWE history, no matter what adjustment you want to make. Um, so that's that. And I want to go into some some strategy here. I've got a lot of graphics on the screen. And I, I think... I've kind of touched on this in words, but probably not in the most organized way. And I want to give this a more organized approach and, and say I th there are three types of scenarios that I can see playing out, which we will call three paths to WWE's television future. And, of course, this all hinges on what kind of company transaction they make, if any, and then what kind of media rights deal do they make, if any, is required. So scenario number one... I see as being they sell the company to a media company that has television or streaming platforms, and then they don't have to make a TV deal. So that's if they sell to Comcast or to Disney or to Netflix or to Fox or to Amazon or to WBD. Not that any of those are particularly likely, but okay. So they sell it to somebody who's already got TV, who has lots to do with the TV rights, great values to them. That's why they're buying it. Okay, they're going to put WWE content, Raw and SmackDown on their media platforms naturally. Or there's scenario two. They sell the company to a company or merge with a company that doesn't have television networks or streaming platforms such as Endeavor, the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund, CAA, Liberty, oh my God, AEW. I'm totally, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm casting shade on Honor Club there. And or Redbird Capital. So they sell the company to somebody who doesn't have a television platform or a streaming platform. And then they're going to have to make another deal subsequent to that to, to put Raw and SmackDown on some big TV network, or perhaps even a streaming network. And then we have scenario number three, where they don't make a company transaction. None of this happens. None of that M&A stuff happens. They'll have some effect on the stock price, which we'll talk about later. And then they have to make a TV deal. So those are the three that play out. And I think that they all have some, some, some really problematic questions around whether or not any of these companies and how to what degree they're going to be deterred by the notion of doing business with Vince McMahon. And um, if let's say Endeavor, let's say Endeavor acquires WWE or they do a merger. And I wonder if it would be a merger, or whether it would be an acquisition because Endeavor is only like a $10 billion market capital company, whereas WWE right now is about six and a half. So it's not like they're, it's not like Endeavor is this massively bigger company. In any case, there's, there's a company transaction. Endeavor gets, gets control in WWE. And then they have to go on with presumably Vince McMahon still in a position of power in the company, still executive chairman at a minimum, and they have to go on and make a TV deal. 
assuming that Endeavor and Art Emanuel is willing to do that first step uh, and then to go yeah. sell TV rights, is that going to be a problem with Vince in the seat? And one of the reasons I think Endeavor has emerged as such an attractive kind of, I don't know if you want to put them as the betting favorite, but certainly across the various outlets that I've read that have speculated on potential buyers for WWE, Endeavor has been one of the, you know, one or two most prominently uh, featured ones is because Endeavor's experience with UFC, but also Endeavor's experience with Dana White and kind of having this, what many people see as this kind of like, you know, eccentric chairperson, and being able to keep that person around and being able to work effectively with that person um, gives people confidence that like, okay, Endeavor can work with Vince McMahon because they work with Dana. Um, and so keeping Vince McMahon on board uh, as a person in charge, it seems like something Endeavor would be willing to do, which kind of makes them a favorite. If you believe that part of Vince's motivations are for him to ensure that he's in power, if the company is sold. And then, so this would be scenario number two, where they where they buy they get bought by somebody who doesn't have a TV network or a streaming company. But then, sort of a, another possibility within that that people have talked about is that the, is the possibility of WWE being acquired by the Saudi Public Investment Fund. Saudi Public Investment Fund doesn't. I mean, they have TV networks. They they're a controlling owner in MBC, which WWE already has a, a TV deal with in Middle East, North Africa. But in the United States, I mean, the, the Saudi Public Investment Fund or any apparatus of the Saudi government does not control any U.S. TV network, that that would be a good fit for WWE or any at all. Um, so they would have to – I mean, imagine this scenario where WWE is owned by the Saudi government. Vince McMahon is in the executive chairman role. And then they have to go to Comcast, Disney, Netflix, Fox, Amazon, WBD, and say, all right, what kind of, what kind of TV deal can we get here? Those two those – are, those are two factors, not just one being Vince, but – the Saudi government and Vince. And we've seen the, the, the trouble that live golf has had in making a US TV deal. Uh, they're basically on the on a streaming platform and they're on YouTube and, and Facebook. So live golf has, has had a lot of trouble finding a big network with lots of reach. Is it going to be much different for WWE? This is, this is, this is something that I, I need to ask around about and try to learn about in the next week. Yes. I've heard from other outlets that like, Part of the issue with Live Golf that WWE doesn't have is that Live Golf is this upstart company and this upstart organization that is basically taking on the the established PGA Tour, which has lucrative television deals with major networks like NBC and CBS. And so that's something that is kind of, you know, like PGA is kind of, Live Golf is trying to take down the PGA basically um, from a business perspective. And that is giving them some powerful enemies within the media world, as opposed to if the kingdom of Saudi Arabia were to purchase WWE, they'd be buying the market leader. They'd be buying this, this television brand that's already critical to the success of some of these networks in a way that live golf isn't because the golf is this expansion brand. Um, and so I think that they're slightly different in the sense that it's not just the connection to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. That's a problem. It's the idea of an upstart coming on and taking, trying to take on an established order, which WWE is not doing that. They are the established order. So if this kingdom of Saudi Arabia were to purchase WWE, they'd be buying into that as opposed to trying to start something from scratch. And uh, I think what's going to happen is that, I mean, I, I believe, I tend to believe that, that Vince is here to not just 
become a member of the board of directors again, but that he's, he eventually would like to be back in control of creative. Uh, and I think what will happen, the, probably the safest way for him to do that is, is to wait a little bit, wait until a sale or merger happens if one happens, and then wait until a TV deal happens if one has to happen. And then after, after all that stuff is set in stone and he's, he's not made a bigger news story out of himself coming back to power despite resigning in disgrace after alleged sexual, sexual misconduct, and then maybe he can get a deeper position back into the company. That's probably the safest way for him to do that. And based on what I believe about Vince, that's what I tend to think he's, he's going to try to do. Um, so, and then people have asked, so... There's a, uh, I want to bring up a comment from an interview that, that Vince made many years ago where he, uh, he says in, in the Playboy interview, uh, when it's time for me to go, I would like to be devoured by the biggest, baddest carnivore that ever walked the face of the earth. And then I'd like that son of a bitch to get indigestion and vomit my remains back up. So that, that, that's something that, that Vince said quite a while ago, and as much as people make succession jokes, it does sound very much like, and I understand Chris Gull is, is watching succession for the first time, it does sound very much like, I think what, what happens at the end of, of, a, of a recent season, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, what happens at, at the end of a recent season of, of succession, I think it was not the, not the most recent season that ended, so I think at the end of season two, anyway, where, he, where he's, he's looking at Logan and says that you're not a killer, you have to be a killer. And he's answering, he's responding to, to, Lo, to not Logan, to, uh, what's his name? The, uh, one, one of his sons, I forget his name. It's been, it's been a while, but he's, he's wondering whether he could have, the, the son is wondering whether he could have ever been CEO, been in the top spot. And, and Logan is basically telling him that he's not vicious enough, that he's not enough of a killer. And, and I think there's, there's some similarities, although obviously succession is, is a work of fiction and it's kind of it, at times a caricature and a comedy. It's, there's a lot of, um, I think there's, there's some similarities between this fictional character and Vince in terms of motivations. But, um, when we look at if the, the notion of whether or not W is going to sell, if W doesn't sell at all, I've, I've kind of seen some, some reactions in the air about, well, if W doesn't sell, he won't, he won't not sell, or he'll be deterred to not sell. And I think, not really. I think if, if W doesn't sell, well, the, the stock price is just going to be adjusted. It's going to have a correction in that it's what is, it's right now, it's at about $90. Uh, as of the close of the market, including the after hours, got really close to $90 per share. Um, if you go back to June 15th, just before uh, the story about Vince broke in the Wall Street Journal that day, that afternoon after the close of the market, Stock price was 67. So it's up to 90 right now. It's been on a pretty consistent rise. Big jump after the return to Vince because that inspired more certainty that the company would actually be sold. Uh, but it's, it's a 34% difference, which is a lot of value. We're talking about the difference between $5 billion in market capital before the first Wall Street Journal story comes out and over $6.5 billion in market capital. So I, I think it would have an adjustment to around $67. Or maybe it may overreact at first and then normalize. But I think that's that's probably the fair value of WWE stock is somewhere around the high 60s to the to the mid 70s if the company doesn't actually get acquired and get bid on by numerous possible suitors. Any thoughts on that before we proceed? No. Okay. And if you again, if you want to submit a question, you can feel free to do a super chat. Um, 
and I think there's from media executives and from uh, people just talking about the the notion of W doing a TV deal or doing an acquisition. There may be a notion that well, I'm just doing business, you know, with Nikon, and to to try to kind of kind of push to the side the notion that that Vince has actually come back. And I just want to remind people that uh, Nikon's employment agreement has been public since 2020, I believe, uh, just after he came on. And his I just wanted to make sure I got the, the terminology right, so I looked it up uh, the other day. His employment agreement says that it's intended to be a five year agreement. So he he could renew. Let's be clear. He may stay with WB for decades for all we know. Um, but he does have a five year deal. Um, and he is very much incentivized to stay on throughout those five years because he's getting very large bonuses that if he does not stay for the entire five years, he would have to repay, uh, at least in portion if he did leave before the five years is up. The five years began August 5th, 2020. So that means it would expire sometime in August, probably August 4th or 5th, 2025. So he's here to to complete these TV deals. Certainly, that's all within that time frame. Um, but I think there's some real questions about what happens after Nick's term is up. Maybe he goes on to some other job, and that leaves a vacancy in the CEO role that maybe Vince, you know, if he's still alive and well, would try to insert himself into. Maybe that's you know. Who, I mean, look at those. There's other players on the bench here in terms of George Barrios and Michelle Wilson who have had. Uh, very high executive roles in WWE as well. Um, yeah, and we talked about well, you know, well before Vince was ousted from WWE the first time, well before rumors of a sale popped up, that Nick Khan's arrangement in WWE is a sh- it might be for uh, a shorter term, and that after the the current TV rights negotiation phase is completed, he'd be moving on to something else, especially if he maybe had an opportunity uh, to do something bigger. Uh, if the which might be the case if the rights go well for him. He's done a remarkable job, I think, by most standards so far in WWE, and he's looked upon highly. So it's something where we thought, you know, he could be on to bigger and better things. And that was before all of this Vince stuff broke. So I think the idea that, you know, Nick Khan is going to be your go-between between yourself and Vince, and that you won't really have to deal with Vince if you sign or a long-term deal with them or you purchase or merge with the WWE. Um probably not going to happen. So, uh, you know, maybe Vince is replaced with somebody or maybe Nick gets replaced with somebody else who they feel confident in working with, but it's definitely not like, I don't, I, I really find it hard to believe that Nick Khan is going to be like Kevin Dunn, where he's going to be in the company for four years. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, we will we'll answer this now from, from NJ. As of right now, do you see Nick Khan being CEO in 2024? Um, yes, because that would, that would take him, if I'm getting, if I'm getting the, the timing right here, 2020 plus five is August, 2025. So in August, 2024, yeah, throughout 2024, he would be the CEO. So yes. I'm kind of tempted to say no, because just because if, of if how... leave before his five-year deal is up, he'll have to pay. You should read this employment agreement. He would have to repay millions of dollars to WWE if he left before his five-year deal is up. Well, what if he was fired? Uh, I think that's different. Yes. That might be different. Right. I'm just saying your logic, your logic is fine. I don't dispute what you just said. If Khan intends to terminate but if his I'm, employment, if, he if, shall provide if, WWE with at least 60 days notice. Uh, but if I'm reviewing a history of WWE executives lately over the last few years and whether or not they've been retained for a long period of times, and certainly none of them have had shocking or surprising exits, I'd be tempted to say that it's possible his timeline doesn't make him through, doesn't allow him to be there through 2024. Mm-hmm. 
anything can happen with this company. I mean, look at what's happened in the last three, four months. What, what do you, I, I said, what do you think the scenario is that, that leads to that? I just think that Vince knows that, that Nick is, is really important to reassuring business partners and investors. I don't see him as being unwilling to go along with Vince. Nobody knows what Vince willing. is going to, nobody knows what Vince is going to say. Nobody knows what Vince is going to do. I don't put anything past him. And so if he feels like Nick Khan is a threat to him, if he feels like Nick Khan betrayed him, if he feels like Nick Khan isn't working within his own best interest, he'll let him go. Even if it's against his own bet, even if you could say that it's not against his better judgment. I just, I, I wouldn't rule anything past Vince and I certainly wouldn't use like, you know, traditional, typical, business logic to determine what he's going to do. Okay. Um, okay. Where are we here? So, and I wanted to, to note too here that we've got, uh, the share, the, uh, the shareholder bylaws or the, I'm sorry, the board of director bylaws that are making it clear that Vince has to approve of any media rights deal as well as any company transaction. Um, I would think I'm, I'm still waiting. I put the challenge out last week. I will, will reiterate it. If anybody can find me anything in a board of directors bylaws that is similar to this in terms of the shareholders having to approve of a quote unquote material media contracting action, uh, Feel free to, to, to let me know. I would love it if you would let me know. And, and when we say shareholders, we, we really mean, in this case, in this company, Vince, because he is 81% of the vote, so everybody else's vote is moot and symbolic at best. Um, so I think what's, what's happening here is we've got a bunch of executives who, in terms of entertaining the notion of a sale of WWE, they're going to buy WWE, or even if they're going to do a TV deal with them, I think we have a lot of a lot of executives, a lot of guys here, and they all are, are all guys, and they're here. All their faces are on the screen right now, and I think they're sort of, you know, they're all they're all standing around the pool and waiting to see who's really going to do business with Vince, who's gonna who's gonna take the first step and and sort of say that the, you know that maybe it's you know I'll, I'll look past this idea that that he resigned in disgrace after numerous allegations of sexual misconduct within the company. If we include things outside of the company, we've got seven of them, seven different women accusing him of various kinds of sexual misconduct. And who's going to be the first one to say that I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm going to look past it. Um, got Brian Roberts from Comcast who may not like wrestling that much anyway. Uh, maybe it's Jeff shell. Who's the CEO of, of NBC universal. We've got uh, Bob Iger, who reportedly just had a meeting along with Jimmy Pataro of ESPN with Nick Khan at the College Bowl okay. game. Okay, yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? Mm -hmm. This Nick Khan went to the college football uh, uh, national championship game. Who reported that, by the way? With, what? Who reported that, by the way? D Dave Meltzer reported that. Thank you. Uh, Nick Khan was was he was he any any talk with Bob Iger and uh, Jimmy Pataro. And obviously yes. ESPN was broadcasting or ABC, one of the two, it doesn't really make a difference, was broadcasting the college football game. Um, and so this notion, game. this is like the championship game. Yes. And so, but the, I'm kind of dubious to know that like, just because the, the Nick Khan was maybe in the same Nick Khan media executive was in the same box as the media executives who were broadcasting the game means that Nick Khan was having any conversations at all about uh, Disney potentially purchasing WWE. We don't know that at all. It's purely based on the idea that they were 
seen with each other or or in the same box at the college football playoff game. I, and I, I've seen that kind of people running with it like, oh, Nick Khan was having a serious meeting with Disney about purchasing WWE. That is absolutely not reported. Uh, and we have no way to verify that. It's would, would totally based that, off of. Would you agree that that's a good thing for WWE to have that news out there that Nick Khan met? Absolutely. Who, who knows what they talked about? Absolutely, and 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 Dave, Dave, all Dave said was that he he saw them at the college football game, and like Nick Khan would go to those things anyway because that's you know he knows that's like a, a thing you do. Those are where the heavy hitters are. All the people are at this big. College Dave football saw game. him at the college football game. Did Dave see him at the college football game? Like did they show him on TV? No, is that what you're saying? That Dave personally saw saw them. Dave, I don't think Dave was at the national college national. I don't football think he was game, either. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't personally see him there. Okay. But you're right. It's a it's the point you're making is that. Somebody told Dave that Nick Khan was there, Somebody. and it obviously behooves WWE from a speculation standpoint to show that, oh, Nick Khan was meeting with Bob Iger and Jimmy Pataro, who are like two of the most powerful people in media at the moment because their role in Disney. Mm. My, my point is I, 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 I see problems with I, – I see reservations that all these people would have in, in terms of dealing with, with Vince step one, um, whether, it, whether it's Brian Roberts Comcast, whether it's – Disney, you're gonna put you're gonna put the Vince, Vince's uh, perception of allegations along, alongside Mickey Mouse. Are you gonna you gonna put uh, you know, David Zaslav? He's got lots of practice at ignoring Dana lately, so may, maybe he's okay with it. But then again, he's probably practicing cost discipline lately. Um, this is Netflix with uh, Ted Sarandos. This is, is it Amazon Prime with with Andy Jassy? Is that how they're gonna kick well, off their their big uh, streaming platforms? With sports. Well, if you want to talk about Bob Iger and. Um Jimmy Vitaro, specifically Iger at Disney, right? If we want to keep talking about him and Disney as a potential buyer. I saw, you know, Matt Bellany on the Town podcast that came out earlier this week when they discussed the WWE sale. Uh, he was with, I think, Lucas Shaw of Bloomberg. Yes. And they mentioned Disney and, you know, he mentioned that Bob Iger probably wouldn't want to do business with someone like Vince and used John Lasseter as an example. And John Lasseter um, was a former studio executive at Pixar, kind of like, for lack of a better term, the Vince McMahon of Pixar. And he had a bunch of sexual misconduct allegations made against him. And he was ousted from his role at Pixar because Bob Iger didn't want that kind of presence, you know, working underneath them at Disney. And he used that as an example of like, you know, Bob Iger is not going to want to work with someone like that, even if they're seen as like an integral piece of, of this major enterprise that they own, like John Lasseter was. So, um, I'd be, and that's on top of the would would Disney want to soil its brand or potentially soil its brand by associating with WWE and Vince McMahon and other other people's other people we have on the, the screen right now, Ari Emanuel, who has practice at ignoring Dana lately, uh, or maybe it's it's a Fox with uh, Lachlan Murdoch, no stranger to uh, problems in the workplace with uh, sexual harassment, including at Fox News, um, or or finally it could be. Uh, the chairman himself, the two, two chairmen working together, uh, the chairman of, of the Saudi public investment fund, Mohammed bin Salman, maybe the Saudis will work with him and take him private. Um, or uh, may, maybe the Khan family is, is OK with dealing with Vince. The CNBC article alluded to the notion that well, maybe Shad would be would would find a place, would include a place for WWE in a theoretical, I think, highly theoretical, uh, speculative merged wwe and AEW. um so do you do you think there's do you think there's any truth at all into that 
concept that 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 the Khan family may be involved in some form in a, a WWE purchase. I think um, this is good good public relations for AEW and for the Khan family for them to be mentioned in the same breath as all of these major media players. Uh, so because I've, I've asked AEW, is there anything to this? And I've got no response. So I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't see any reason to believe that there's anything to this. But I can see a reason to not to not deny it to let it let it be out there let, let people have fun with it and, and mention us in that company why do you think cn like see this was like uh barons right i think mentioned barons and you know, cnbc AEW, both of them, cnbc yes. why do you think they said that do you think that's because they heard that they were interested or do you think it's because they just assumed that that because they run another wrestling company that they could be they have they, they, involved they in the mix? attributed sources familiar with the situation i think something to that effect yeah what would what would there be to gain for AEW or WWE in, in merging their companies? Um, gathering a bigger audience, sure, there's a ton of synergy there in terms of expenses that they could share, <clears throat> people they could cut, and um, there's a huge WWE and AEW event, maybe a few of them that they could run. Um, I'm not sure there's a healthier business with them merged, but that's not in their interest. I, I, there's, not, <laughs> there's not a healthier business. It would be... But that, that's I mean, that, that's I mean, not an. I don't really want to waste time speculating right. on it. But the I first thing I thought of was like, <laughs> like you you if would 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 you keep would you be on TV four day four nights a week five nights a week would you be, you know it's, it's you not like either of those brands it's not like either of those brands would go away. I think people have a very primitive yeah. notion of, of of what a merger would be like between those two companies and that one buys the other and eliminates the competitor and that's that's not I, that's not how I, I see this going. I don't see this going at all because it's just yeah. I, I, these, the, these parties are not going to work well together, and they're not going to come to a deal, as Vince would say. They probably think wouldn't, wouldn't would be able to agree to on, on what they would have for lunch, much less agree on a, a combination of their company. You don't think Vince would want to work underneath Tony Khan? Certainly not. What evidence do you have that suggests that that would be a problem, Brandon? That, that, that Vince came back to the company that he lost con, some control of. No, I, yeah. It's it's a it, I think it's a it's a ridiculous notion, and I I don't think Tony has Tony has stuff to gain, but like, like Tony's built a successful wrestling company from scratch by himself. You know he doesn't need to buy WWE to run a wrestling company. He's already done that. So it would be to control the market, and it would be to I don't know help make AEW bigger by leveraging with WWE. But it's just it's to me it's such a ridiculous notion. Um, it's not really worth further discussion. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting to think about, we're not going to get into this today, but like what, what happens, you know, there's a day when Vin, Vince isn't around anymore. Vince isn't alive. I mean, there's different possibilities open up because he's not the one who has control anymore. And who knows what happens to his shares at that point. Um, anyway, uh, I kind of want to quell this. Yes, there's a lawsuit out there uh, filed. There's a complaint out there that was filed uh, on January 10th. Scott A. Fellows, on behalf of himself and all others similarly situated, that is, other shareholders, he has sued Vince McMahon as a class action shareholders lawsuit. Uh, we won't get into the details, but you know, r raising m many complaints about what Vince has done to the board recently. Uh, I don't think this is going to go very far, but I think this is one of more complaints to come. This is not going to be... Something that, oh, this, yeah, he's going to get sued and this is going to stop Vince from doing what he's doing. That is not what's happening here. I don't know what, there, I don't think there's any legal maneuvering that can be done at this point to, to stop Vince McMahon unless new, new allegations or, or like something far-fetched 
like criminal charges come to light uh, or government investigations start to prosecute him or something. And there's no reason to believe any of that is happening uh, anytime soon anyway. So if you want to question, put a question in, put a question, we'll deal with it by the end of the program. Um, the big, big topic I think today, we're already 45 minutes in, but what motivates Vince McMahon? What makes Vince McMahon do the things that he does? Lightshed put out an article earlier this week which I would recommend people read, uh, going over all the different suitors, but also exploring what what are the factors that are making Vince McMahon come back to the company and what is he really looking for when it comes to a sale. And Lightshed lists four factors that they think motivate Vince McMahon. One, shareholder value. Two, involvement. Three, legacy. And four, revenge. They think the answer is probably a combination of those four things. Um, are these correct? Would you agree with all these? Yeah, I mean, it, I in think... that order, would you put them in that order? Would you? Put, and, I don't, and I don't think that Lightshed is putting them in this order. Uh, but what, what do you think are the the big ones? I, I, I think if Vince was totally motivated by shareholder value, he probably wouldn't be coming back to the company. He wouldn't be back in charge because the company was doing fine without him. I guess he's he's sparking a sale, which has increased shareholder value. But he's improved the stock. What are you talking about? The stock if, is up if, to ninety. If that was his number, yeah. If that was his number one goal, then I think involvement, legacy, and revenge are all probably equally playing a role here. Legacy is an interesting one because it's something that we really don't, I think, have much of an understanding of what Vince McMahon's interpretation of that is. We we know what his interpretation of involvement is because we've seen it for the past forty years. We know what somewhat what his interpretation of revenge is because we've seen that at different moments over the last 40 years. But like this, like, you know, glassy eyed Vince McMahon, you know, almost 80 years old, looking over his company and thinking about what his legacy is going to be. I don't think we really know that much about like what his motivation and what he sees as his legacy is. Um, so that's one's more of like a black box and perhaps is the what could be the main motivating factor at this point. Yeah, I, I think I think. I would put number one, I, I guess what what they're calling involvement here, which is probably a polite way to polite, more polite way to say control. I think number one for him is control, for him to have involvement in the company, um, and and to be the one who is who is making the decisions. Um, and I think number two, I might say, is none of these, but something more like self entertainment. I think there's. There's a weird sort of, um, I think he's motivated by sort of this strategy game that's being played out between even himself and, and, and his, his, his uh, family members uh, to see if you can really, can you really take it from me? And, and, and oh, you, you couldn't, I, I could take it right back. And I think there's like a thrill that he's probably getting out of playing this, this strategy game. Um, so you'd say something like fulfillment, like he, especially if he was sitting for the last six months feeling empty, right. uh, because he did, it wasn't in this role, but right. he needs to occupy himself doing something. And this is a game that he's interested in playing, uh, especially if it involves his, his children and kind of wresting control from them. I guess, cause, cause I've heard people say, I just tweeted the other night, last night, I guess that I've, I've heard other discussions with people who are used to say covering media executives and we'll come in and say, well, if I were Vince, wouldn't it make sense? And let's play this out. It would make sense. What would be the best thing for 
shareholder value. The best thing for shareholder value would be for me to make a deal with someone and promise them, yeah, I'll, we'll make this deal, which I have to approve of. And I'll say that I'm coming back to make this deal. I know there's problems with me here, but I'm coming back to help make this deal because it's really important for the shareholders to know that the person who has all the votes is going to actually approve of the deal. So let's get in here. I'll, we'll approve of the deal. And part of the deal will be, I will agree to step back and that'll be the best thing for shareholders. I'll get a ton of money out of it and I can do go, go to all these other projects. Um, that might be relevant to the vast majority of executives. That is not relevant, in my view, to Vince McMahon. Uh, I don't think he cares about money that much. Um, money is just sort of an incidental part of the process that, that comes with trading power. Well, this has been discussed about, like, why do billionaires launch themselves into space? Like, why is Jeff Bezos going into space? Why was, why is Richard Branson or Elon Musk or whatever? Why do they want to go into space? Um, you know, like if you were a billionaire, would you be risk, risking your fate by going into space? No, you'd probably just be on earth living, enjoying being the richest man in the world or one of them. But when you're really rich and you spent decades being really rich, you're, you're, you're looking for new stuff to do. And one of them is to go into space. And part of that seems to be like, okay, why can't Vince just, you know, be happy being Vince McMahon and being really wealthy. And Brian Alvarez was talking about this earlier. Like why does Vince McMahon want to make a bunch of money off a sale when he already has a bunch of money himself and he's an older man? Why can't he just go have fun being, you know, a billionaire right now? And it's part of it is these people, they have spent decades being rich and they've spent decades being in power. And what is entertaining to them, uh, is going to be different than what would be entertaining to like me or you, Brandon, if we came across a billion dollars and like Vince isn't going to be fulfilled sitting at home, spending his money or going vacationing or doing anything that other people, normal people might do if they were a billionaire, the game, the, the idea of getting himself back in control and running the company and doing his job and doing what he's done his entire life. That's the entertainment for him. That's how he wants to spend his time. He doesn't want to spend it doing anything else. And so he might like clumsily bull rush his way back into that position, um, even if it doesn't behoove his legacy, even if it doesn't behoove his company that he has built. That's how he entertains himself. And he's, his motivations for it are not going to be, I think, like easily understood if we approach it from the perspective of what we would do in this situation or what a normal non-career billionaire would do in this situation. Yeah, I, and I think – I, when I hear things like Paul Levesque say, this is in an interview in, in 2015, I believe, that he did with Steve Austin, where he said that Vince likes the idea of a three-hour Raw because it's a challenge to him. It may not be – I mean, it is financially good for them. Whether I guess you could argue whether in the long term it's actually good for the company, but um, – it's a challenge. It may not be the best thing in, in the immediate term for the content, but it's, it's the, it's the challenge. And I think, I think that's consistent with what we've seen him do with talent in that he doesn't want talent. That's kind of already over and established. He wants to tear them down to build them back up. He, he wants the challenge is what I see playing out in, in his career. Uh, and I think that's what he wants here is, is some entertainment through challenge. And I think this is, this is an entertainment vehicle for him, this game that he's playing. So I think there's control that he wants. And eventually, like I said, I think we're, he's going to wait until there's a TV deal in place, either through acquisition or through a separate renewal having to happen, then get back into control as head of creative, if he's still healthy enough, alive and well for that. Um, 
So I think that's number one is control. I think number two is whether or not he's thrilled and entertained by what he's doing. He's probably not very thrilled and, and entertained by what, whatever he was doing over the last five months, uh, the last five months of 2022. And I think number three, which is almost irrelevant here, maybe there's some relevancy in, in terms of who they're going to end up negotiating with, but I think like big kids liking him, the cooler kids liking him in, in culture and society in terms of a, a broader cultural acceptance of him either in, in media, with media executives or culture, celebrity. And, and by this, I, I'm, I'm saying there's consistency here with their, their sort of worship of celebrity and, and, and willingness to, to embrace re- relatively small celebrities just so they can be mentioned alongside with some wider part of culture that's not wrestling. Um, yeah, the acceptance of what he's doing is not this sideshow circus entertainment. Um, with the irony being that he's been probably been able to get away with a lot of his transgressions because he's in the sideshow entertainment business. Yeah. Yeah. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. So, uh, we will... We will. Anything else to add there? No. So... We will do a, a, a quick plug. I've been deciding to do this plug in the middle this time. Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics is the best way to, to support WrestleNomics. We have the TV ratings reports that are coming out every single day almost, access to the big data, the spreadsheet. We did a WrestleNomics 30 on Thursday that we do for subscribers. These are all the, the posts that have happened just in the last seven days. The quarter hours are there. The subscriber-only audio is there. Uh, we also had a, a live event business report about WWE and AEW that Jason Umperser wrote. You get access to the slides that we're going through as well. Um, so, Dynamite rating. We will, we will leave Vince alone for a moment. The Dynamite rating was higher than usual this past Wednesday. 967,000 viewers total, up to a .33. It's their highest demo in a, in a couple of months. Uh, number three overall. Uh, well, number three in, in cable among the demo. Just behind, of course, behind, well behind the, the NBA games. Uh, but we can see here on the chart, this was this this gray dot here is the most recent episode of Dynamite that that is is up after a few weeks in a row of the of the rating being down. Um, who? Why was the rating up? Uh, they promoted a really big they promoted a really big card, and so you're the you're, best. you're so you're was it the best of seven match. So you're alluding to the fact that they heavily, um, well, it depends on the term heavily, but they tease the idea that Sasha Banks or Mercedes Monet would be mm-hmm. making her AEW debut on the show in somewhat, somehow involved in the mystery that turned out not to be a mystery tag team partner match uh, between Britt Breaker and so, Jamie Hayter versus Soraya and Tony Storm. So how, how is it that, that Tony Storm ended up in this match as, as the partner of Soraya? 
Soraya, it was presented as a mystery partner of Soraya, and then Soraya just kind of announced it's going to be Tony Storm the week before. That's how Tony Storm ended up in it. What, what do you think was really happening? Were they trying to get Mercedes for that role and then realized that, you know, just before or some, sometime before they made that announcement that it was going to be Tony Storm, that, well, we're not going to get a deal done with her here, so let's announce somebody else. Okay, we'll put Tony Storm in the spot. That was their plan B. Purely speculative. Um, those are both possibilities. There's also the possibility that they just thought that they never really figured they could get Mercedes, but if they teased that they could get her, then people would tune in, mm-hmm. which would be the more cynical view of it. Uh, I, I, I was on Post Wrestling uh, Wednesday afternoon, and somebody asked uh, if if I thought that Sasha Banks slash Mercedes Bonet was going to be on Dynamite. I said, yeah, probably, because I think they've – if she wasn't, they would have done a better job to make sure that people didn't think that. And there were certainly opportunities in, in Tony's public appearances that he could have he downplayed that. And, right. We kind of have a track record of how Tony and AEW likes to introduce new names and big names. Obviously, the CM Punk first dance being like kind of a prime example of someone that they didn't and they didn't announce was going to be appearing on that show, but heavily implied it to the degree that they sold out the United Center, you know, quickly um, based on the, the the rumor or the, the the hype around it. So, and this mimicked some of that. So, people understanding AEW's track record figured that it was a, a, a real possibility that it would be Mercedes Monet and. Instead, really wasn't much of anything. I mean, you have a potential Hikaru Shida turn, but other than that, it really wasn't um, a notable angle, or it wasn't like they had someone else appear that would be considered like a, a star, but not at the Mercedes Money level. It was really just kind of a, a run-of-the-mill woman segment on an episode of Dynamite. Do you think AEW, at the point that they at least put Tony Storm in the match, Let's. I think we can assume that at least at that point, if there were dis- discussions to get Mercedes to, to work to, to come to AEW and to be in this match at the point that Tony Storm is announced as the partner, I think it's safe to assume that they know they're not going to have her for, you know, for LA. So could AEW have done more to not lead people astray? Well, there's the Britt Baker promo where she said, I'm the boss and winked yeah. at the camera. Yes. Um, that would be what most people would say is like the biggest, you know, tease that Mercedes Monet is going to be there. I mean, there is something to be said that. And I think it's wrestling... possible that, that Britt just doesn't know whether or not it's going to happen. And yeah. she thought maybe it's going to happen and put that in the promo. Mm-hmm. Well, it was also a pre tape promo, so you could always go back. Yes. To do somebody it who, somebody who knows had, had an opportunity yeah. to pa- possibly edit that out. Yeah. It would be like, oh, yeah, edit it or, or say, Britt, can we do this again and don't say that last line? Assuming that she wasn't, she was, she wasn't uh, scripted to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, there is something to the idea that like wrestling fans have active imaginations and don't um, and will kind of, despite the the sometimes cynical nature, will often jump to the biggest, the most exciting conclusion possible when it comes to potential angle or something like that. Like I remember I've I've been saying for years, the biggest problem in wrestling is the fans. The fans are are the problem. um, I would not endorse that opinion. Uh, but (laughs) it is something where it's like wrestling fans sometimes, you know, because especially if you're always online and you're seeing other people's opinions and you're seeing fantasy booked ideas that excite you, you'll kind of jump to conclusions or or expectations that aren't really feasible. I remember when, uh, Christian cage made his AW debut at, I forget what the pay-per-view was, but it was basically teased that, you know, I think it was presented as one of Tony Khan's favorite. Yeah. One of Tony Khan's favorite all time wrestlers is going to be, making his debut in AEW and 
people, you know, jumped to, it's going to be The Rock or, I don't know, maybe like Brock Lesnar. I forget some of the other people who were like rumored, but it was like these huge, huge names. And it ended up being Christian Cage. And, and, and that was kind of seen at the time as like a slight disappointment given on. But but it was really just because people worked themselves up into theme, thinking that it could be The Rock, which isn't really a feasible idea. Um, so there is something to that. But obviously, AEW, especially with the Brit promo, leaned into the speculation that it would be Mercedes. Um, are, are you saying that, that some of the over, some of the overhyped expectations that fans had about Christian going into that pay-per-view before he was revealed as the, as the mystery – some of that that overhype was unavoidable because of the nature of wrestling fans. Yes, I think, and because of the nature of how we communicate. There's no as way for AEW to downplay that and and to to make it to down. To well, it's a fine line because you you want to promote it as something like a reason to buy the pay per view. You're bringing this guy in and making it a surprise. You want to get value out of that, and your job as a wrestling promoter is to make something seem as exciting as possible. Um. But that does put you in like kind of like a difficult circumstance when it comes to like a fine line between hyping your thing up and then setting expectations too high, especially when you really don't have control over a certain group of fans' expectations. Because some of them will are, are internal optimists and will always believe that the, the greatest thing ever is going to happen. I, th- I think there are ways that AEW and or Tony Khan could have lowered expectations by using just different different language and, and, and a different way of hyping that while still hyping. It I think it's true, but you have, you, you think some of that is completely unavoidable. Do you disagree? You think that like yeah. you could play it down <laughs> effectively as a wrestling promotion where you'd be like, well, set expectations high, but you know, not too high. Like it's not going to be like the greatest wrestler of all time. Don't, don't get excited about it. Like that's so anti, uh, like that's like the complete opposite philosophy of what you have as a wrestling promoter. Um, and that wouldn't excite fans. So I think some of it isn't isn't uh, unavoidable. I like, think just things like without without overhyping, and and no, I guess because like, some people are going to run off the rails with their with their anticipations. Just what's going to happen? And now, like with the Mercedes example, like just if you cut that, if you cut that promo out of the, the equation, Britt doesn't say I'm the boss, uh-huh. you know, and Soraya just says it's going to be Tony Storm. There are still people who are going to speculate and think Mercedes is coming out. And I don't think there's really anything they could do about it. It was part of it was circumstance with Mercedes, you know, being a free agent. And we don't know exactly like was AEW in talks with the Mercedes is Mercedes still coming. Um, was it something that AEW did kind of like on their volition, just thinking they could steal, you know, some hype from the Mercedes debut, even if they had no real intention or ability to bring her in. We don't know any of that, but I do think it's unavoidable that some people would jump to that conclusion. That's just the way wrestling operates. And it's the way we communicate as wrestling fans and the, the how much we discuss speculation and fantasy booking and all of that. Okay. I, so let, let's, if we, if Mercedes made a difference in this rating, which was up higher than usual, um, what are the demos that I would expect to be higher than usual? I would expect maybe women in the demo to be higher, maybe particularly younger women. And that, that is what we see. Now, this is the smallest subset demo of the demos that we're looking at here is, is women 18 to 34. But that was up 35% relative to the, the median of the trailing four days, which I think is a, is a good way to look at what's normal versus what this show did. And this was with young women – it's up 35% higher than usual, which is the biggest positive delta that we have here. Um, within the demo overall, though, it was, I mean, men 
overall were up more than women were, but within that younger half of, of women, that was a, that was the subset demo, the down ballot demo that was up the strongest. Um, if we look to the quarter hours, so the women's match, if, if you thought she was going to be on the show, you, you would think she was going to come out during this uh, tag match, Soraya and Tony Storm versus Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Um, and it was 9.15 to 9.30. It was flat, quarter to quarter. It was down in the demo overall. And we do have the, um, the, the, the minute by minutes. I wrote Britt Baker and Rebel in here, but that's wrong, isn't it? It's Britt Baker and, and Jamie Hayter. For Breaker and Jimmy Hitter were the ones okay. that match. I mean, Rebel was on screen. Yeah, so okay. so but, my, my mistake, but everything else I believe is right. Um, mm-hmm. So, and we have, I don't know, it kind of grows throughout the match. The, the viewership does. And then there's the picture-in-picture break, at which time, as you would expect, the viewership drops. And some mm-hmm. of it comes back after the break is over. I don't Is that atypical, like, like um, for, for, for our mat ratings to grow during a mat, throughout a match? I would, I would think so. Odd. I mean, I don't, I don't see minute by minute ratings hardly ever. So mm-hmm. it's, but, but what we have seen in longer matches when we have, we have quarter hours every week and we are, when there's like a, I mean, it's rare that there's a match that is longer than 15 minutes or longer than that is, you know, 30 minutes or longer than that. But in the long matches that we have that have stretched across multiple quarters, especially at least with AEW and in cases with WWE too, we've seen the audience grow towards the finish. So I don't know how normal or abnormal this is, or this really tells you any clear story other than, I don't know, people tuned in, they tuned out during the commercial. You'd expect that some of them came back, not all of them. I guess maybe I could apply this plausible narrative is that in this part, well, let's, let's, let me put the, the laser pointer on screen in this part after the, the picture-in-picture ad break, not as many came back. Maybe by that time, some people had given up hope because we're down to like 930,000 viewers, whereas we had just over a million back here. Um, and how does that compare? We were in a million. So that is higher than, I mean, this first half of the match, which before the break is is over a million throughout. It is higher than 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 the quarter. It's higher than any quarter since quarter one, which was almost certainly helped by Big Bang Theory. Uh, so anyway, is there anything else there? I think just in general, like the rating to me, when I saw it, I didn't necessarily think this is a Mercedes Monet that like our speculation of Mercedes Monet through the rating. I thought it's very similar, I think, in, like in size and in uh, the key demo with the rating we saw for Winter is Coming. So I kind of think this is kind of like... If AEW puts together like a big dynamite, maybe it has a world title match on it. Maybe it has like a bunch of big matches on it. And certainly, you know, the Hangman Page versus John Moxley match was a match that had been built up for a long time and had a, uh, you know, a big build for it. And obviously the, the best of seven series match probably meant something for it. This felt like a big dynamite. And this is the kind of rating that a big dynamite gets, not necessarily uh, something like unusually high that um, I would look to to say like oh it was hype about Mercedes that 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 drew the rating maybe it did but it this seems to be about like in the ballpark of what like a a, a well plate hyped big you know monthly anchor dynamite is Winter is coming last year twenty twenty two was wasn't that kind of a disappointing rating that was December no, it, that was the Ricky Starks was that that was the Ricky Starks MJF match right. I believe so. So that was December 14th. And I'm, I'm looking up what, what that rating was uh, for, for Dynamite. I think this one did higher in total viewers. But I think the, I think the key demo was both 
I think it, it might have been either a 0.35 or a 0.33. So December 14th, winter is coming. 950,000 viewers. 0.33 in the demo. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so that's almost par with what this was. So very similar. So that's what my original takeaway yeah. was. I was and like, okay, was this is what like a big dynamite okay. does in this yeah. incarnation, right? Um, mm-hmm. A dynamite with a couple of, you know, kind of big matches that have spent a long time hyped up between two matches. This one, this one didn't have a theme, which I'm surprised that Tony Khan didn't use a theme brand for this show. Oh. Cause that's something he usually likes to do. That's not Tony Khan. Like it's not Yeah. like, I, I, I'm surprised this wasn't like, I don't know, like given what, a, you know, a Southern here? California theme or something like yes. that. The fight in the forum or something like that. Yeah. Like something like that. I mean, that's, that's what things he likes to do, especially with a, a named, you know, event. Yes. So uh, what's your verdict? Did Mercedes Monet draw some of this rating somewhat or what did I pull on, on Twitter a little somewhat or a lot? I would say somewhere between a little and somewhat, I would say you can definitely, um, it's, 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 it's hard to think that, you know, excitement or potential excitement overseeing Mercedes Monet did not play a role in some people who maybe don't regularly tuning in to tune into dynamite. Um, but I also think there was a lot of other things on this show that you can point to as as exciting things that fans were interested in seeing, and a not a not unusually large AEW audience. It's not like the CM Punk first dance, which you clearly had all of these people who don't regularly watch Rampage tuning in to watch. To watch this was, you know, to me this is a, a for for everyone that regularly watches dynamite over the last three or four months they made sure to watch this episode not necessarily a huge swath of non-regular or irregular dynamite viewers tuning in specifically to see this so mercedes monet not that big of a draw according to jesse collings we will let, let yeah this i said it stands not a draw not a draw at all <laughs> um okay uh we'll do we're, we're out of slides so we'll do questions if you have them I don't know if there are any more here. Uh, I've got I've got to scroll through. We just had that one MJ question. I think that is it. Um, so, do you have anything to plug, Jesse, or do you have any any uh, interesting questions to ask? All right. Have so you, we talked. Let's 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 ask. We do a have question one here. one more. Thank you, Justin Robbins, for telling us to fi- fix the audio. Hopefully, it is it has been better in the last little while. Uh, okay. Um. So let's let me let's ask this question here. Um. We talked about we've talked a lot about prospective buyers for WWE. We've talked about what what some of their interests would be, what what they would do with it if they had it. But let me ask you: This is purely this is gonna be difficult for you, Brandon. But purely you as a wrestling fan, oh, if people will not like whatever in, the answer is, but okay, pe- people like put yourself in that perspective. As a wrestling fan, who would you see out of the realistically named? entities that might be purchasing WWE as the best entity to purchase WWE. The one that you think asked me this the other day. Yeah. The one that you think would have the, 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 you would get the most enjoyment out as a wrestling fan who would be the best person to purchase WWE. I don't know if I see a great deal of difference between almost any of them. I mean like Comcast and Disney and the unlikely WBD Netflix. I don't see what the difference. I, I like. I don't foresee what the difference really is. And they're all gonna buy if if they buy WWE, they're all gonna buy WWE and put their put the library content on their platform. Um, whether or not they're gonna have people who prioritize the library content 
and you know organize it well seems totally unpredictable to me among, among the different potential suitors. Um, I, Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund would be them buying it is clearly the least attractive to me as a fan because it will further solidify the stigma around wrestling, which I find to be the bane of my existence. <laughs> and it, it would be one of the one of the worst stories in wrestling history. If if an autocratic regime that that violates human rights executes people who say things that are uh, that are critical of the government, if they're an owner of of a wrestling company, it's going to further solidify over time in people's minds. Wrestling is not only this this campy, you know, trashy entertainment, but it's also owned by an autocratic, abusive regime. It's 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 the worst of the worst now. And I, I as, per, as, some, would... as somebody whose life is deeply associated with wrestling, will will carry that with me as I interact with people in the world. Yeah, even if you're someone like me, who's become kind of, who's kind of let go on the concept of like WWE ever being like something that I'm really passionate about viewing ever again, like the kingdom of Saudi Arabia buying WWE would be really bad. Um, I don't want MBS to have the mid South tape library. Um, personally, What's it uh, well, you know, maybe Tony What if Tony was involved in, in that aspect of the purchase. What if Tony wanted some of those video libraries? Do you think like if the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia or maybe even not them, but any other buyer, what if they, they could be convinced to sell some of those live, those video libraries to someone else? If they don't really ever see them really envisioning them, loading them onto their streaming service. And we know that they probably don't get like a lot of views on the, the contents, not that like old territory content isn't that valuable to these, these big, you know, streaming providers. Um, I think that I, I see that as being the library is is valuable to a competitor. So you would want there's a there's a benefit to WWE in just throwing it in a cave somewhere and never using it. Mm-hmm. So there's a a big problem with somebody else having it. Yeah, I would speculate that I would think that as a fan, wrestling would be better if Vince McMahon was not involved. Uh, in it really at all, but certainly not in like a day-to-day capacity. So any company that is willing to tolerate Vince McMahon's consistent presence within the wrestling world would not be the best buyer, in my opinion. So if it's like Endeavor and Endeavor is just happy to keep Vince on board and, you know, doesn't have a problem with him at all, I would say that's bad, just not only from like an ethics standpoint, but just from like a creative standpoint. Like it's Vince McMahon being in charge of creative is not like something that's going to appeal to me as a wrestling fan. Um, so I would dismiss those Here's kind some, of options. So, something that's sort of a self-challenge that that's crossed my mind a few times is like, are we harder on Vince? Because I think we both agree. He's he's been pretty bad at executing creative over the last however many years you want to go. Mm-hmm. Are we harder on Vince morally, ethically, because we dislike his creative? Um you know, Brandon, we're so I think we're so much outliers on on holding Vince to a moral standard that it's hard for me to say that we're being too hard on him creatively. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, are we harder on him on oh, his misconduct? On his morality because yes. we don't like his creative. Yes. yes. Um, hmm. I didn't like Vince McMahon before I heard about these misconduct allegations. Does that play a role in me being more upset with them? 
I would say in some ways, yeah, right? Um, just like the opposite would be if I was a huge fan of his work, then I would be like less upset about it. I think deep down – You would be the person in my reply saying, this was all consensual. What's the big deal? His wife doesn't care. Well, there were people that were involved in, in speaking out in Me Too um, whose creative outputs I did enjoy. Um, and am I – I wouldn't say that I yeah, but I wouldn't say I'm like uh, overlooking any of the, those transgressions because I like their work. You I'm more disappointed. They have a good. Marriage, I'm more disappointed you? in it, or it's like, oh, this is this thing I liked, and now I'm going to think about this whenever I, you know, if it's a musical artist that I liked or a movie film director or anything like that. Um, so I wouldn't say that I'm giving them more likely to give them a pass, but I do think that there's some factor where it's like I don't want to see Vince back in power, not only because he's a bad person, but also because he's just bad at his job. So. Will I say like he shouldn't be back because he's a terrible person because part of it is that I don't want to see him return in a creative capacity um, for my own enjoyment. Uh, yeah, that's probably a, like that's probably like a, a motivator factor somewhere in my psyche. I think it'd be weird to dismiss it as 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 having nothing to do with it that I'm completely capable of being super objective about the morality of his issue um, because I don't like him creatively. Yeah, it's easier to believe. Well. There's a lot of factors. The, the the person who's created the content that I've seen in WWE television over the last 20 years or so seems consistent with someone who may be participating in some sexual harassment. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously the, the, the right thing is like, it doesn't matter that your creative output should not matter when it comes to, you know, somebody being held to, to account for things like sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, sexual assault, obviously, to be clear. Um, anyway, anything else? Um, well, you didn't really answer the question, but, oh, um, did I, well, I said, I don't, I don't think there's a, there's a difference. I guess I can't see a difference between any of the major media companies. And I, and I certainly see the, the Saudi Arabia public investment fund is the worst. Well, let's ask this question is as a wrestling fan, is the wrestling industry better off with the strong WWE? It depends on what a strong WWE is. Um, so WWE, so let's say Vince is gone. Uh, mm-hmm. And Triple H takes over, and they have, you know, a very they have a very wealthy owner. It doesn't not necessarily the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but a huge company like Amazon or maybe even Comcast mm-hmm. that are willing to pour more money into WWE to make it a, a bigger product, a better product, a more popular product. Is that a healthy thing for the wrestling industry? Obviously. I think we're all in agreement that all elite wrestling and the rise of that has been a very healthy development for the wrestling industry in a number of ways. And AEW was really allowed to be created because WWE wasn't satisfying a large percentage of its audience. Um, and a weaker WWE from a from an interest standpoint emerged, and that made a, a positive impact on on wrestling. If WWE were to be just this amazing product again, um, and that was the only place people really felt was necessary to satisfy their, their wrestling needs. Um, would that ultimately hurt the industry because there wouldn't be necessarily a demand for an alternative brand to emerge, which would make it economically infeasible to start an uh, alternative brand, which would mean that we'd be stuck just with WWE. Um, like we have been at certain points in history. And so there's an argument to be made that like a WWE going somewhere where they'd be considered significantly weaker, um, in their current standing, which would be kind of hard to imagine, but is is not impossible if if they're sold somewhere and it doesn't really work out that well. The, the objective um, is is 
a healthier wrestling industry. Is that, is that the, the terminology? If that's something that interests you as a fan. What, what is that, though? What is healthier? Is it, I, I imagine it means things like um, better treatment for workers, including sure. wrestlers. Um, more agency for wrestlers, more places to work. Right. For, sure. Um, and a lot of good creative stuff that people are critically praising while also being popular and very lucrative, um, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, and lots of jobs, I suppose, both for talent and for people who work behind the scenes. Even Um, for people like us that would benefit from an increase in popularity in wrestling, right? More people, more people who wrestling, the wrestling, the wrestling content. If more people, more Patreon subscribers, more people, more jobs in wrestling media, things like that. Because if there's an increase in interest, there'll be an increase in demand for all of these, uh, you know, things that are, that, that, um, Jellyfish. I've heard from, you know, indie promoters. I don't, I don't know if this is true anymore, but I've heard, talked to indie promoters before. And certainly you have Brandon, um, and you know what? What some of them have told me is that when WWE is really popular, you know, it's good for everybody. It's good for us because that that's making new wrestling fans, and that means more people are going to come to independent wrestling. I think it's kind of interesting that to said run. too. I I I guess I've I've been involved in indie wrestling since two thousand three, and I don't feel like there's been a a dramatic enough shift in the popularity of WWE over that entire time for for me to say that oh yeah, it was popular over here and not popular over there. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I, I was never involved in in indie wrestling in the Attitude Era when it was at the height of its popularity, much less Hulkamania era. You know, so I don't feel like I've had two different environments to even tell you about. Yeah, I mean, I would I would suggest that, like, part of I think what led to some of these indie companies drawing bigger crowds in like the mid two thousands was because WWE's decline in popularity and a, a demand and left for talent out there. They left marketable talent. Out. Independent. Yeah, and a, and, a, and a desire to see a different style of of pro wrestling and and. and mm-hmm presented in a different way um so in that case like wwe kind of being less attractive to viewers helped indie wrestling at that level but people have told me that like you know wwe is the you know a high tide raises all raises all ships right like the idea that wwe doing great would mean everyone in the business is doing industry is doing great i don't know if that's exactly true so you could to, to, to round about back to my question you could make the arguments that like a weaker WWE, a WWE, say WWE gets bought by Endeavor and Endeavor has a really hard time managing Vince McMahon, you know, creating an environment that's good. Maybe they have a harder time negotiating for, for TV deals or whatever. Something happens where it just doesn't work out as well with Endeavor as it has been with WWE as a public company or, or WWE as a, um, would be with, with, with being purchased by another organization that that might actually benefit the wrestling industry and that me as a fan would enjoy a weaker WWE um, because it would create more opportunity elsewhere to have a more uh, sustainable outside of WWE environment. Because a, a stronger WWE that has, that has a larger audience makes it harder for, for secondary non WWE wrestling companies to I don't know if compete is the word, but, but, to, but, but to put on big shows among other things. Which is bad. Yeah, I mean, which limits the number of jobs there can be, which limits maybe the number of critically acclaimed wrestling shows and matches and other kinds of performances that there (laughs) would be. Um, These are possible. Uh, It's also possible. Well, maybe not as likely (laughs) that WWE will will launch its global localization and will take all of those alternative brands in house and offer you them on on the award winning WWE network. Right. This one do it all themselves. uh, 
this one homogenous wrestling brand um, that exists. And I've heard, you know, I, I guess my, my, I, I know what you're saying. And I, I don't, yeah. I'm not ready to say like, it sounds like you're getting ready to say like, you don't want WWE to be good. I, I want WWE to be better. <laughs> and like, I would like to enjoy the product more and I would like to, to feel emotionally invested in, in their storylines and their matches. Right. Yeah. Which would mean Vince McMahon probably shouldn't be involved in the creative process. Of course, but we've been saying uh, that's I've been saying that for which would mean that (laughs) a which would mean that a buyer of WWE that would keep Vince McMahon in the creative process would be less attractive to you as a wrestling fan than a buyer who would say we need we want Triple H or we want somebody else in charge and that Vince sell the company and go back you know doing whatever you want to do. And your personal time, but and the only one who I think would have a a definitely different opinion, the only one that have any confidence that would would have a different opinion about that one way or the other is Saudi Arabia and everybody else. Those are the two groups that I think, and I don't know. There may be you know other ones in in the middle, but I just don't know which one which ones they are. Maybe it's Endeavor. Maybe Endeavor is one of those ones that's in the middle. But then again, mm-hmm. I don't know. Are, are, is Ari Emanuel really interested in, in in bringing that on? I don't know. Right, like, because in, in, Endeavor's come, like we mentioned earlier, like Endeavor's come up as a as an attractive candidate. I think in part because of their success working with UFC and working with a personality like Dana White, who's seen as similar to working with a personality like Vince McMahon, as opposed to some of these larger companies like Comcast or Disney that might really balk at the the uh, you know cost of, and, of doing business with. Vince and, and it's not about doing business with a a promoter who's a big personality who's who's done it for a long time and is you know, ostensibly very, very successful. But it's about doing business with a Vince McMahon who has sexual harassment and sexual assault allegations against him and may have more that we don't know about yet. That's a big, big difference. And, and Dana White mm-hmm. slapped his wife, and that's very bad. He doesn't have yet, you know, that we know of, sexual harassment allegations against him. Right. Um, so I would, I would put it at – I don't know. I kind of think – I think I think you're right in the sense that it really doesn't like if does it really matter if Comcast buys them or Liberty Media buys them or Endeavor buys them or Netflix buys them. I do think Netflix offers an interesting possibility in the sense that appearing on the Netflix, you know, homepage is probably more beneficial to getting W for, for people to for WWE to get people to sample its product than almost anything else that they've had in a long time. Like Maybe with the exception of like that SmackDown that aired right after an NFL playoff game, mm-hmm. um, but really like it's about sixty million homes in the U.S., which is a lot. But it's more than that. It's the cultural cachet of of appearing yeah. on streaming as opposed to sh- appearing on cable or network. You're reaching a younger audience. Yeah. I would You're still want to be on cable or network. Also, in addition to that, you would yeah. still want to be on it. But I just think about like, uh, you know the cultural cachet of, of like being on a premium service or a streaming service is seen as significantly easier to, 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 to enter the, the cultural zeitgeist than it is even being on network. Even if you're getting more viewers on network, like many more people to me in my life, and maybe this is me living in a silo, but way more people are talking to me. I hear way more conversations about, a show like Secession or a show like um, The White Lotus than I do about like, you know, 911 on Fox or, you know, Chicago Fire or whatever. Not Chicago, but... Um, because you probably yeah, talk to people who are under the age of 50 about these things. 
Right, but I'm just I'm online. I'm seeing you know yes. coverage of of these things like it. But and I think that that is a huge advantage to creating a younger audience. It's a huge advantage to creating new fans. It's a huge advantage to uh, getting people to watch. Like you know, there's been a lot more discussion about woman of wrestling lately. I feel like ever since um, like the some of the you know some of the data that you've pulled up that has popped up about like the number of people that are watching women of wrestling. I've heard more people kind of discuss like oh, women of wrestling, you know, is bigger than impact because people view, you know, people are viewing it at a much greater level than they are. Um, these other things, but like woman of wrestling just has, uh, you know, perhaps surprisingly high total viewers and, and they've been and, doing, you know, they've been doing over 300,000 viewers the last couple episodes. And, and if you, you can, it's, it's way down here between, it's above, obviously, the the access programs, New Japan, and Impact, yeah. but it's below Rampage. It's in one hundred percent of the country syndication. Access is not. I'm not. Ta- I'm not talking. I'm not necessarily talking about more people actually watching it. I'm just seeing people talking about it a little bit more over the last few weeks because people You're are realizing people talk about Wow. Not people talking about Wow necessarily, but people talking about Wow being like a bigger, important show because you know how come we aren't talking about Wow instead of Impact? It gets more. You know, more people watch Wow than Impact. Um, promoters, but the people who to, who promote wrestling to each other are not watching. Yes, yes, but WoW has almost has no cultural cachet whatsoever, like in the real world, like functionally. God, I hope Jeannie Bus isn't watching. <laughs> um, but it doesn't like it's one of those things where it's like, okay, what are we really talking about here? Are we talking about a show that is getting viewers based kind of entirely on the fact that it's on on uh you know in a hundred percent of homes and is on at various times or are we talking about a show that's actually driving viewers that viewers are seeking out i don't know i mean if they were if they were airing a test pattern it wouldn't do that much viewership people would turn it off but so just to make an extreme point that doesn't say a lot mj is saying that you know it got promoted by the new york times what a media piece by genie bus what a coup to get the the new york times to write a feature article the wall street journal also i was quoted in both i believe yeah if if you want to watch if you want to know like how like access journalism works and how like having friends in high places can get you to promote stuff uh the fact that had like the New York Times writing Women of Wrestling, like anyone on earth is talking about that promotion. And it's not just more, you know, Maura Welp or Maureen Welp or whatever her name is sending press releases out to you uh, to get them is, is, is pretty fascinating. Hmm. Um, okay. Sorry, I turned into a wow burial, but. Um, Have you watched any wow? I've watched a couple no, of No, I haven't. Now. But like, I mean, like go on wow's YouTube channel, look at how many views the, the, those, those videos get. Like, I think it's like literally under a thousand, maybe it's more now, but like the idea that wow has this um you know like rabid fan base that's growing it, you know it's one of the it, it's the uh it's the difference in like what i'm talking about between like just looking at this raw total viewer number which you might see on higher numbers in, in network homes versus actually creating a fan base and actually finding um you know like being part of the pop culture conversation and getting cachet and, and being marketable uh, to like something like streaming services and things like that. Um, I think there's a lot of, when we look at television, there's a lot of kind of like just institutional advantage you get from being on network television um, that doesn't exist in like a cultural sense. Mm-hmm. And you kind of want to be both, right? Which is why you kind of want to be, you know, access to be, be accessible to a wide audience. So be on network, but also I, I, being like, a part of the culture zeitgeist, which WWE would probably 
do much better on if they were on a, a series like Netflix. It, the ideal situation would be to be on a really strong streaming service, maybe next day, Netflix, and, and assuming the Netflix is going to, uh, you know, make your visibility very high when yeah. people which, go into that platform which, and to be on Fox broadcast or NBC broadcast or US. Which is, which is kind of what gets back to the point about like that, the opportunity for WWE to be on Netflix, specifically Netflix, not Peacock, not Amazon prime, not even Hulu, Netflix, the market leader in this end, on this end. Mm-hmm popping up, you know, at the top of people's pages or new, new today or anything like that. Um, people who maybe are more likely to sample the wrestling product that way, um, than they are to, uh, you know, even stumble across it on network television to be a different audience to a degree. Um, and WWE has been on Netflix before. Yeah. It's kind of a long time ago. They had a lot, yeah. of, a lot of like their DVD, yeah, because I remember watching them. Were on that. Yeah, they would they would air them and kind of at a different phase of like Netflix as an entertainment option. Um, but I think to have like if you were to take a show and, and put it on on Netflix, it would be an opportunity for WWE to reach a new audience in a way that they have kind of not been able to based on the current method of the distribution. Um, I don't know if it'd be different. Like I don't think WWE is radically more popular. Um, since they've switched to Fox and, and Fox has definitely allowed them to reach a bigger audience. So in the end, if the product isn't entertaining to people, will they still tune in? Uh, perhaps not. I mean, I think it's really important to be on the USA network and or Fox. Um, and I think maybe WWE would be a little less popular if they were, if SmackDown and Raw were both on USA network, not, not majorly, but it's, it's something, um, just briefly, this is a little outdated, so this is at least as of the the beginning of last year. Um, I have the number of subscribers for these streaming services and Netflix. I this is an estimate based on like they they report U.S. and Canada together, so I just sort of s- multiplied it by the the respective populations of the U.S. and Canada sort of as a as a portion of, the, of their sum, and we get like sixty five point seven million subscribers roughly for for Netflix, which puts them. You know, look at everybody else. Well, well ahead of everybody else, at least as of Q1 last year. Obviously, I need to update this, but just to get some, some look. Um, but I see what you're saying about not just it is the reach is a big piece, but but the the branding association of being on Netflix, which people actually use, as opposed to uh, the people who have access to Prime, say, and actually use Prime. Probably there's quite a disparity there. But maybe that's changing a little bit since the NFL. Which I've heard those NFL ratings on Amazon have not been the greatest um, in, the, in the second. On Amazon? On, yeah, the Thursday night. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we looked at them last week, and it's, I think they're, they fare better in, in, in the 18 to 49 are more comparable to where they were previously. Yeah, so the younger, the younger stuff um, is way better. And that maybe, you know, that's like a, maybe that's a, that's a, a trade that the NFL is, in, is willing to make, which is we're going to get younger. You know, some of the older fans who don't watch Amazon Prime, um, do it but it's also a loss leader in the sense that like my dad is 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 you know figure out how to use the remote on his smart tv to to open up amazon prime to watch thursday night football when all he, when these sports are leader. loss leaders or in that in a moment right 
where he wouldn't be doing where he wouldn't be doing that otherwise. But now he knows how to access Amazon Prime. So if he finds out that, you know, oh, there's a new show that he might like that's on Amazon Prime instead of in the past being like, oh, it's on Amazon Prime. I don't know if I get that. I don't really want to go through the process of finding that. Now he at least has the familiarity with, you know, opening up the app and knowing how to find his show. Um, you know, what's interesting about those numbers of like the streaming services, I'd be really interested in knowing like if they have this data about like, which of the, like, like what, how many of these streamers are being used as like, like browsing time versus like people going on and knowing exactly what they're going to watch. Like I imagine ESPN plus, for example, that's not published. Does, I'm sure they, they have that internal data. Right. But I imagine like ESPN plus, for example, doesn't have a particularly high rate of like browsing time. I think people are turning on ESPN plus because there's a sporting event that they there's know that is on. There. And they're 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 booting it up. I think maybe like things like Peacock and Paramount Plus that do a lot of live sports as well also see kind of a similar thing like that. Mm-hmm. Netflix, I guarantee, not only are they in the most homes, but does probably because they're viewed as like the market leader because they have an enormous amount of content. I would imagine more people are spending time on Netflix, just kind of like, oh, I'm going to boot up Netflix on my TV and flip around. I don't really know what I want to watch, but I'm going to see what they have on Netflix. Um, that's that's. Uh, you know, like the, the, the new version of, of, of channel surfing or clicking through the channels. Um, and that to me would be more valuable because if you're like WWE or you're a, a company that wants to, to pop up in people's feeds, you want to be on a, a place like Netflix where people are just looking to watch something and are flipping around as opposed to a, a thing like ESPN Plus where the only people who are going to kind of find you are the people that know exactly what they want to watch. Uh, we have a couple super chats to get to. MJ says, I think that wrestling fans, this is referring to our conversation earlier, I think that wrestling fans who are hard on VKM harbor resentment for him making wrestling a meme of pop culture. Insert Vince GIF here. We like the genre that's m- mocked mostly because of Vince. Um, and we have another super chat. Thank you, MJ. From Dalmar, who says, was Meltzer way off on the Morgan Stanley statistics? Um, I, I guess Dave... I don't know if you've read this yourself. Uh, I did. In the Observer. I guess Dave uh, wrote about the Morgan Stanley analysis, uh, which we talked about more than a month ago. I had to go back into the archives. I, I get the impression he was saying that and sort of left out the part about Morgan Stanley ultimately making the, the conclusion that um, we anticipate that Fox will, will, would like to renew but may have a lower ceiling. Um, I think he left the reader to think that SmackDown is especially in this situation when, in fact, Raw would be in the same situation. So what's happening here? Uh, Morgan Stanley did a a lot of research, uh, which we talked about a month ago. Aggregators should watch and hang on the word of of everything we say on WrestleNomics Radio. Uh, They would have known about this story uh, more than a month ago. Um, And they they went through and got information apparently about what the ad – what the ad unit cost is if you buy an ad on SmackDown. What what is that? And they basically just did the math and said, okay, here's what an, an episode of SmackDown generates in terms of ad revenue. Here's what it costs Fox. This is what Fox is paying WWE. And they're, and they're saying, hey, look, it's not in the ad sales. It's not paying for what Fox is paying WWE. So it's it's losing money. It, it, furthermore, it went on to do the math on, well, look, if we ascribe some carriage fees, which may or may not be the way that Fox actually looks at it. If we ascribe some percentage of carriage fees, perhaps rel- which was, was what they did is relative to the percentage of ad revenue that they generate for Fox overall, we give them that same percentage of carriage fees. Then does it make a profit for, for Fox? Still the answer is no, <laughs> but it gets closer to, to break even, uh, but it's st- still only about halfway there. 
And, uh, I think you would, if you did a similar project, which we could do, um, doing the similar estimates for raw on the USA network, dynamite and rampage for Turner, you would, I think you would find similar results in that those, what those products, uh, uh, cost the networks, what they're paying the wrestling companies is not made back just on ad sales or even when you combine carriage fees. Because, in fact, I bet if you did the same thing for the NFL, for the NBA, for Major League Baseball, you'd find similar results in that. They are a right, loss I mean, leader. Look at how much money the NHL has gotten from you know Turner for their deal and the ratings that they do compared to WWE. It's not even close. WWE does way better ratings. Unless, I mean, playoff ratings for NHL are a little bit different, but during the regular season, they're smoked. But obviously, they're viewing them as a loss leader. The way it's presented in the so Observer... To, to, to be clear, so we'll talk about the Observer. I was reacting to a tweet that was referencing the Observer... What did the, mm-hmm. the observer actually say, though? Well, it's it's it basically only has the part uh, about like basically all. If you just read the observer piece and you hadn't read the prior Morgan Stanley piece, which we had discussed, I probably like last month when it came out, um, yeah, early December. Yeah, that. Uh, do you think you just Dave? Read the observer, do you think Dave read the actual analysis? I have no that? idea. I don't. I don't know. The um, the observe. So if you just read what was in the observer, it implies that like. Fox should not be paying SmackDown, uh, you know, what its current rate is because they're not making their money back. And there's no it's there's no real explanation for what the logic would be for Smack Fox to take SmackDown on as a loss leader. If you were just going purely by what was in the Observer, you would come away with, oh, there's no way Fox is going to buy, you know, pay for the rights for SmackDown because they're not even breaking even now. And they're going to be, you know, asked to pay, you know, two times as much or whatever the multiplier is for the next rights fees. And it would make you question the entire business of, of you know, sports TV rights because it doesn't seem like anyone would make money given the rates that they're paying for uh, for all this content. Uh, obviously, um, so it doesn't really go into detail about why this would be, you know, interesting. I, th- I think the conclusion to make is that there's there's this content that is you okay. My soccer team's not doing well. <laughs> okay. You did that once before. I think we were off air. Um, I was like, whoa, did I piss them off? No. <laughs> so anyway. they, they're, they're losing to nothing, and they just had a good chance to, to cut the lead in half. And, uh, but anyway, what I was going to say is I, I think there's live sports that is that, that you have to – if you're doing the math is, is driving a disproportionate amount of the revenue. And you have this other programming uh, like rerun programming and, and, you know, you know, stuff that you're airing for the fourth time and and things like that, that are, that are drawing a, a a smaller percentage versus the time that they're actually on the network, if that makes sense. Uh, But anyway, yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I think the observer article like doesn't really give you the full picture of like even the Morgan Stanley report. So if you read it, you would like it, you would, you, and it's weird because Dave doesn't draw the conclusion. Like if Dave is just going by what he's publishing, then Dave theoretically should write a whole follow up to it. about being like, yeah, I don't know if SmackDown's going to get, you know, an increase in rights because this Morgan Stanley report implies that it's not, but Dave knows that like he knows that SmackDown is going to get an increase in rights. Maybe it's not from Fox, but he knows that it's not just, you know, no one makes any money off these network deals. So they're never going to sign, they're never going to sign a bigger one. Um, but he doesn't really explain that to observer readers. So if you just read the section on the Morgan Stanley report, you would just think like, wow, they're not going to get a rights deal because clearly it's not making them any money. Yeah. 
it's something to to pull back the curtain. It's, it's something I thought about, like, and we had did have Jason Ompasser at one point, you know, writing articles based on things that we were just talking about in, in the on the podcast, which I think would be in the news aggregation world would be you know subjects that they might be interested in. Um, anyway, anything else? Do you want to plug anything? Anything else you want to bring up here? Um, no, I'm trying to think if I thought of anything else. Have you noticed? Did you note that Jungle Hook was the highest quarter hour for female 18 to 49 viewership? And I believe their YouTube video is doing fairly well. Is it? It's, it's the highest quarter hour for female viewership? Is I that, believe is that, that was right. The, um, there. Is that in the Observer? Because I, I don't have the female breakdown. Um, or it might have been in the Observer. I've just tried, To be honest, people have said it. I'm not sure. I can back it up. I also know the that... Chat. People are I also that. think their YouTube... I've heard that before. I, I've heard that the, the Jungle Hook... If you look at their YouTube video views, um, that like the concept of the Jungle Hook uh, has been well received from a ratings perspective. It's obviously one data point. So what we have on the screen here are the top ten EW Dynamite videos for the last seven days or so, something like that. It's essentially it's it's the data that you want to look at to answer this question. And and number one is. The video titled "Were Jungle Hook Successful in Their Team Debut," which has four hundred fifty-three thousand views, which is more than anything else from Dynamite this week. <laughs> and as we've discussed when we looked Inclu- at, it, including the Adam Cole return videos, including the, the trios match, yeah, yeah. Like, as we, we we discussed this when we were looking at like the year end, who was in like the highest viewed YouTube clips for our respective wrestling companies. They pretty much always pretty much correlate with like who we see as the biggest stars. Like in Dino AEW, it's going to be like CM Punk and John Moxley and MJF and Brian Danielson. Um, so for Jungle Hook, um, with you know Bill Morrissey and uh, Lee Moriarty being that high, it's it's an interesting thing to follow. I think as far as just a a tag team and an act that might appeal to. Um, of a, a female demographic, you obviously have two young, good-looking guys um, as a tag team. It could be like kind of you know, there's, there's the, that's a, a successful wrestling formula. Um, I'm not going to use the industry term, but there, there is um, historical precedent for that. Um, yes, the, the Jungle Hook specific, Express. Maybe they would specifically in some of the wrestling promote territories that Tony is uh, fond of. Yes. Um, okay. Anything else to plug? No, I think that's good. Okay, okay. I'm gonna watch the bills now. Uh, yeah, I mean that is a as a neutral fan that is not an exciting game for for the playoffs. You, you got to be a promoter. You got to got to hype it. How, I don't. Not I'm watch not a the promoter of the National Football League. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for, for all your super chats for supporting. Uh, we will be back with for, uh, with audio for subscribers only on Thursday. The Rustomics thirty. Chris Gullo and I will be back, and we'll be back as always. On YouTube, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, every Sunday with WrestleNomics Radio. Thanks for, for watching, like, and subscribe, and all that stuff. Thanks. Bye.